Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Um, today we're going to talk about the importance of investing regardless of, of what else is going on really in the world. Um, we're going to talk about a local financial salesperson who has um, paraded himself as an alternative to Wall Street and that is very literally crumbling down. Um, we are also going to discuss Chuck Feeney, a multi-billionaire who has given away an absurd amount of his wealth in his lifetime. And then we're going to wrap up with uh, our top five. So enjoy this week's episode. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 37 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. And this is Jeff. We're back. Mm-hmm. Well, hiatus. Yeah, a couple long, weeks. Long, long we are back, baby. <laughs> it's going to be a good one, too. I'm feeling good. Yikes. Um, do you guys know how fast a rocket ship needs to travel to get into orbit around the Earth? Have you ever thought of that? Like, how, how fast does it have to go? I don't know, and I've never thought of it. 17,600 miles per hour. That's 4.9 miles per second. Slower than I thought. (laughs) What? Five miles per second? That's insane. That's just to get into orbit around the Earth. If you want to completely escape the Earth's gravity to travel to like another moon or a planet... You have to be going 25,000 miles per hour, which is seven miles per second. That's crazy to me. That's way faster than I thought it had to go. You know, do you also know that they're, they're going sideways more than up when they launch? Is this, is this your fun fact now? What happened? <laughs> I have a related Wait, fun fact. this is more fun. Tell me more about this. You think they go like the thrust is to get them going like, like up. To beat gravity, yeah. it's more sideways than up. Interesting. Definitely easier to beat gravity going sideways and straight up, right? Well, the whole point of beating gravity is to go fast enough sideways. That's a fun fact. Interesting. So, you so, know how they there's the like SpaceX or whatever that's putting people now? At, like, are they leaving the atmosphere like where are they going i mean based on who some of these people are i sure as hell hope so (laughs) (laughs) is like they're not they're not you described leaving earth's gravity right so they're probably at the first level of speed that you were just saying like leaving earth's orbit which apparently doesn't like get you into like non-gravity realm I'm, i'm assuming Atmospheres, maybe. Maybe at, maybe different levels of the atmosphere. We're still in the same solar system, though. Yes, the same galaxy. So that's just if you want to get in orbit around the Earth, you need to reach speeds of at least 4.9 miles per second or 17,600 miles per hour. To escape Earth's gravity, we're talking 25,000 miles per hour. You don't really escape the gravity, though. 
Here we go. Bill Nye, the science guy. So, and I just learned this. So, this is kind of interesting. Like, if you throw a baseball as hard as you can, it's going to land. It's going to land on the ground, like, you know, what, a couple hundred feet away, whatever it is. But if you throw it twice as hard and you keep throwing it harder and harder and harder, it's going to land further and further and further away, right? That's kind of like obvious. Sure. You throw it hard enough or you get anything going fast enough, like straight, like the curvature of the earth, it, 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 it never hits the ground right. because it just keeps going around the earth. That's like what orbit is. Sure. Like it actually just goes around the earth and never hits because it's going fast enough so that it like tracks the curvature. What, um, what documentation do you have to verify this? Well, the same as you do with your fun facts, <laughs> right? I mean, mine is very well documented from coolcosmos.ipac.com. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any uh, literature in front of you. Yeah, I don't have any. You guys <laughs> knew more about that than I expected. Mostly you, Mike, because Jeff prepared for it. Uh, it's the most talked about fun fact I think we've had so far. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Confirmed. Four <laughs> minutes. Four minutes in. Um, Where do we start? Oh, no. Philly sports. Oh, no. All right. So last time we did this, I think the Flyers were still playing. Really? Maybe. You might be right. And Sixers definitely weren't. They might have been going in the game seven the last time we spoke. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, because that that effort in game seven was so bad. The only way you can explain it is that they were so tired and spent that they just had nothing to give because they were bad. Like I, I don't know what the shots I forget what it was, but they yeah. had, you know, hardly any shots went you know, through well into the third period. Really bad. Being tired and spent is not a realistic excuse, yes, it is, is it? Oh, give. So the other guys just don't get tired when they play hockey? The other team? Everyone's maybe the, tired. Maybe the Flyers the level of were a poorly conditioned team yeah. compared to the Islanders. Or maybe they like were were not as disciplined in their little, you know, training camp and off season and bubble. Experience. You really don't think fatigue is a factor in physical activity i don't think fatigue can be the factor for an entire team sport losing a game what? in the at the professional level like it happened in the in second game, round of a playoffs in game seven it literally happened in game one of the finals where dallas had whatever three days full days of rest mm -hmm. tampa came off of back-to-back -back overtime games and they showed up and they got that, that, that that's a complete exception obviously if one team has been resting for the last five days and the other team just played a back-to-back -back, yes these guys were playing they were playing in a series together for a week and a half they were on the same schedule now, i'm going to give you an example that that refutes your oh theory he's going to find one Herb example Brooks. in a million Beat the shit out of the 80 Olympic team kids. Miracle. Which everyone saw in Miracle. <laughs> and they were so well conditioned that they were able to hang with a team that was 100 times better than them and ended up winning the gold. Which is why Herb did that. It was above and beyond what anyone has ever done to a hockey team before. I'm talking about NBA, NFL, NHL, professional sports teams. I don't think that you can blame Game 7 in a series that they've been playing on the same schedule due to fatigue. They're all professional players. They had a full season of hockey. They that, train differently. They have different um, regimens, different 
and their different personalities. I think I think it's a huge factor in every sport except baseball because there's no conditioning involved. Okay, I, 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 I disagree. I just flat out disagree. Then I would just I, I, fire the strength and training coach for the Flyers and hire the one for the Islanders. If, if that's such a huge factor, it has nothing to do with talent and coaching and your and your uh, your best players not even showing up. It has nothing to do okay. with any of that. Obviously, it has to do with those things too. There can be many reasons why teams don't win games, but playoffs, yeah. Fatigue, for sure. Living in a bubble by themselves, no family, no outside like contact. But they all are. They all have the same. They're not all the same human, though. Everybody get better like, humans. Response. All I said was I think that was a big factor. <laughs> I don't think it was a big factor. I don't think it was the only one. Never is the only one. I th- I thought it was just noticeable. They had. They didn't have that. They were clearly dull and lifeless out there compared to the Islanders. And that's there's no excuse in any game seven to do that unless you just don't have it in your in the tank. That's I don't I mean I can we can keep going back and forth. We're talking about the <laughs> Flyers who lost like a month yeah. and a half ago. I think we should probably move on. Uh, All right. From from them. Can we not spend a lot of time on the Phillies? No, I mean the Phillies are six and a half games back. They're not gonna make the playoffs. They're like they're, they're they can get the second wild card. Which is, it, they're not going to make the playoffs. Let's just—I right, mean, cool. let me just say that they're so not going to make. So Sixers suck, Flyers suck, Phillies suck. No, I suck. say that. Phillies <laughs> bullpens. Of all the teams, the Flyers have the best. Um, I would say the most promise going into next season. I'm uh, talking all four teams. No doubt, I agree 100. Okay. <laughs> percent The Sixers are. I, I said this to you. I said it to someone else, and you overheard it. The process didn't work. Oh, we need to stop saying it's that. Over. I have I have a lot of beef with that. Them going into next season not being as promising as as the Flyers I can fucking get on board with. This process did exactly what the process was supposed to do. Win a championship? The process was <laughs> not supposed to win a championship. Oh, what was just to get good enough to not win a championship? The process was supposed to contend, was supposed to put them in the Eastern Conference playoffs which it no, did no no, no. the yes. eastern conference finals and it didn't happen i don't want to argue with you about this meg if you think the sixers organization wanted to like become contenders and make the playoffs and that was their end game goal you're crazy they fired the front office who put the process in place so what happened these last two years is not reflective of the guy who started and like made the process happen. So that's an unfair argument because it's two completely different front offices with two completely different strategies. Whatever you want to call it, however you want to say it, okay, the process did work. They stink. And they're not going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And they're not going to win a championship with the team they have right now. Do you, I mean... You, you, oh, I agree with that. Yeah. But the team they have right now is not a product of the process at all. Joe and Ben are the only two products of that process and they're two of the best players in the league. So if we're measuring it that way, birds. Sixers stink. <laughs> Phillies stink. Mm-hmm. Flyers are okay. And, and Eagles? Really? Stink. Wow. Man. Epic failure. Just an epic all, failure. All the, all the trade Carson talk already. I love it. I love it. My wife has watched the last two weeks. And she has said out loud multiple times, 
I told you we should have kept Foles <laughs> and traded what she's like, where's Foles right now? And I'm like, I have no idea where Nick Foles is right now. Yeah. Is he, I don't even know if he's is in he a, a league. backup somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. He was the starter for Jacksonville last year. He got hurt. He, he blew his out his collarbone yeah. day one, week one, game one. I think it was drive one. Gardner Minshew <laughs> took over. Chicago Bears. Backup, right? To Trubinsky. Oh, Mitch. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know what's going on with the Eagles. I can't, I can't even figure it out. There's, I think there's so much wrong with the Eagles that it's very difficult to just say Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, there's sure. every aspect of the team is bad. Is Are there any bright spots? Miles Sanders. Fumble. He's pretty good. <laughs> Deshaun Jackson. He's pretty good. Didn't he get hurt? Did he? No, he played last week, and he had like – he was the one – I think they on, on, this, on the drive that Carson threw the interception in the end zone, which – unofficially ended the game. The game was over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was the only bright spot. He had like, they went to him four times. He caught all four passes and he was decent. Okay. It's it, what, this is what drives me the, the most crazy about it. He was so good in 2017. Like, you know, this kid can play football and he has the ability to make good decisions. And he has the talent and the physique to be an elite quarterback, and he's just not. Whether it's the offensive coordinator, he had Frank Wright as his offensive coordinator, and now he's not there. Maybe that was the genius behind 2017. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see every snap or anything close to that, but he's made in these two games some really, really bad throws. Really bad. Like, what? Like, way over. Or not even close. And And – that's on top of especially week one standing in there way too long and making yeah I agree he's he he looks terrible but I think I do think that we've seen like the worst of it can't be worse yeah I agree so I think they're gonna be they're gonna play better and win some games but right now it's not looking great and wasn't 2017 Carson him because of the personality was surrounded by like when i look at like his line and just the roster i don't know anybody yeah i mean and the people i do know are old as dirt he had the benefit of alshon jeffrey's like best year tory smith had a good year that year yeah uh yeah it was a it was obviously a much a much different team jason peters wasn't 112 peters has actually played okay and the line last week, the offensive line actually protected Carson. That's why I was the most frustrating thing. Yeah. Week one, their line was terrible. Yeah. So we blamed it on that. Week two, they were actually pretty good. And he ends up making like five or six really bad decisions. There's something wrong. He's, he's, I think mentally there's something wrong with him. Not like he's like a crazy person. I just think he's rattled in his own brain. And... I think I said this years ago. Him not being the quarterback that won the Super Bowl <laughs> may have just screwed him up for the rest of his career. It's a possibility. It's a possibility, I guess, but then he's got to like see a sports psychologist to get over that shit. Yeah. Cuz the alternative is playing like this. You're going to you're going to get run out of town. You're run right out of town. Yeah. You're not going to stay in Philly. Do you think him 
like he can maybe get a two for one deal. Him and Ben can see the same sports psychologist, and Ben can learn how to shoot a jump shot. And that way, like this, all will be right with the city. She looks like she's going to throw her microphone at me. <laughs> um, Pretty low times for Philly sports right oh, now. Yeah, really low. It's brutal. It is brutal. Good thing is nowhere else to go but up, man. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. Who do the birds play this week? Anybody know? Uh-uh. I think the Bengals. Oh, what's going to happen? What's his face? If they lose to the Bengals. Who's the guy who won the Heisman from LSU? Joe Burrow? Yeah. I watched him play because he played on Thursday night last week. Not bad. Week. He's pretty good, man. He's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Yeah. He was like legit. I was impressed watching him. His first game in the NFL, yeah, I, the I, Bengals. I thought he played. I mean, they lost the game, yeah. but he looked good. He looked really good. I was impressed. Yeah. Big Joe Burrow fan. <laughs> you gonna pick the birds this week and your pick them i will take the birds this week i think they win this week if they don't the city's gonna burn down <laughs> well how about everybody being up in arms about not being able to tailgate <laughs> people are legitimately pissed that they can't tailgate at the link and somebody, I don't know if he's uh, somebody political or if he's a newscaster. I have no idea what his position is. I just know he's verified on Twitter. He made a comment about how people, can, homeless people can use the parkway as their homes, but they can't, people can't tailgate in the link. It's a fair point. <laughs> I'm with this guy. I like him. <laughs> All right. So. Next week could either be better or worse than this. It's, it could only be better. <laughs> um, all right. Coach's corner. Still it. Uh, negativity is not an investment strategy. Ben Carlson wrote this article on his blog, A Wealth of Common Sense. Ben's article stresses the importance of investing in spite of basically anything. Negative experiences, headlines, market turmoil, geopolitical crises, all of these things make it easy to convince oneself that now isn't a good time. But what we do know is that not participating in markets is the biggest risk of all to your financial plan. I thought it was a good article. I thought that where he started, and I'll throw, give you a few examples. The 60-40 portfolio is dead. The 4% rule will never work anymore because bond yields are so low. Th those little snippets he had at the beginning of the article are things that I have heard repeatedly over, I would probably say, the last 10 years. So I, that really resonated with me. Like global debt bubble is going to lead to the biggest crash in history. Like the same things just keep getting said by investors over and over again. And God, I mean, we say it so often. Like it's just all bullshit. The market is not a casino. It's just a waiting game. If you have a structure and a plan to deal with the short-term volatility, you're going to be better off by investing in the market. Bottom line. And if you, if you try to go on the sidelines and sit in cash and get nothing, inflation is going to erode your wealth and you're going to run out of money. It's not any more complicated than that. And I just... I mean, the, the articles like this that we read over and over again, why is it so difficult for the average investor to just understand this? Because the way he writes this and the articles that we've shared in the past that resonate this same vibe, it's not that difficult to understand. 
Is it because there's just so much more information that preaches the opposite that investors come across? I think it's because pessimism sells, which we know. You know, that's why doom and gloomers and the negativity, it sells. It sells clicks and eyeballs and articles and everything else. And it also sells investment products, you know, the the, the protection products and the crash-proof stuff and the risk mitigation strategies and all this other stuff. Um, you know, I think one of the things he said in here is kind of interesting, as and it relates to clients that we have prospects that we talk to and you know you sit there and you debate with them about like an investment strategy which vehicles to use like what are the most appropriate funds to use or what have you and those are so insignificant compared to are you an optimistic person or are you a pessimistic person that's like maybe the most important question that we can ask anybody who sits in front of us because if if they're generally just pessimistic and they're complaining about the upcoming election or about the Fed printing money and it's going to blow up the world. Like those are red flags all day and every day. And and it's okay for people to be concerned about that stuff and to maybe accept that there's always going to be something that's out there that's a, that's a worry. But if it paralyzes you and forces you to sit in cash indefinitely and waiting for the, the right time, well, then you're, you're screwed and we can't help you. Or if it forces you to make decisions that you otherwise shouldn't make. Right. I saw on Twitter, maybe it was Morgan Housel, he said, save like a pessimist, invest like an optimist. Right. Right. So I think that, like to your point, Mike, your view of things, not to say that a pandemic isn't real, not to say that it hasn't been a crazy, the environment that we're experiencing now politically, socially, um, and otherwise is maybe once in a lifetime. I don't know. It I think that's where people get where they struggle. Like you can acknowledge that things suck or that we're experiencing a shitty time or that there are a lot of questions we don't have answer to. And also recognize that like the only way for me to grow my capital is to invest in these companies, in these people that I might not always believe in or might not always um, feel strongly about, but I have a long time horizon, so I have to participate. And I think like being able to recognize that both of those things can be true at the same time is key. And people just, it's like an all or nothing deal. You know, like if I feel this way, then I have to act this way and I have to behave this way as opposed to just recognizing thinking and doing something maybe that's the opposite of that. Yeah. I remember a lot like years and years ago, a buddy of mine from college said to me one time, he's like, I mean, we were probably in our twenties and he was like, you know, it seems like it would be really easy to just like make money by short selling companies, selling short their stock, meaning betting against them, identifying companies that, that suck, are overvalued, are obviously going to go down for whatever the reason. Like, wouldn't that be like the easiest way to do it? And I feel like kind of in a way you can think about a lot of companies that, that, that maybe that makes sense. And, and you'd, you'd say, you know, it, it seems like it should be fairly easy to identify like the ultimate losers as opposed to the winners no if you can identify the losers that means you can identify the winners no not true like if you fi- if you just spend your time <laughs> looking for the next like accounting scandal that's going on inside a company you can figure that out or man or or well, um, that would be inside information if you no, found out no, that no, there no, was no, an no. accounting scam going on in the company 
and then you shorted that company because of it. No, it's not. How would you find out that the accounting? Uh, all right, you can f- f- forget about that for a second. I'm talking about like observing a guy like Adam Newman operate at WeWork, and they weren't public yet. But so I'm just saying, like, it seems like so it would now be we have easy. two bad examples. It would oh be. It seems like it would be easy to find those inevitable losers that are going to flame out, like Ford. Right? Would you say Ford? No, that's different. Why is that different? <laughs> I guess all I'm trying to get to a point here, which is that, like, if it were that easy to just be pessimistic as an investment strategy and try to capitalize on that, it would be done over and over and over again. And it's like notorious that short sellers generally don't do well. They just don't do well. It's really hard. Isn't that what I was saying? That it's it's just as hard to identify a Obviously, if you just buy the market, you're gonna you're gonna buy winners because the market's gonna go up. I'm saying that it seems intuitive that you could, and and this is what the article is saying. Like, obviously, the election is gonna crush stocks either way. The economy is going to hell. Whatever whatever it is, and people could conclude we should be selling stocks. We should be going to cash. We should be not invested in the market at least for a while. That strategy never works. Never. Or if it does, it's short-lived and, and or you're lucky and you can't do it over and over again. And you can't, on the other side of, of the coin, you can't know when to get back in. It's why I want the market to do so well over the next 18 months. Because this has been a moment in time where we've heard repeatedly, it has to go down. I know it's going to go down because of coronavirus and because of the election. And because of where this country is today, there's no, and I just, because, because I think this would be the ultimate proving point, although it won't, it won't resonate with any, like if the market could survive and have positive returns through 2020 and 2021, I feel like I'd be able to show it to every investor and go, look, look, it worked. It still went up, even though everyone said it was going to go down, but they're going to forget about it just like they forgot about. The government shutdown, just like they forgot about oil embargoes, just because, just like they forgot about 2008, 2000. Like, it just won't, it never, once it's in the rear view, it's completely in their rear view. And they forget how trying it was. Because, you know why? Because that trying time is followed by so many good times. It makes that negativity and that bad event just fade until the next bad event happens. And they're like, it's different this time. It's so much worse now. No, it's not. It's just happening now. Yeah. And they'll never be able to see beyond that. And maybe we just benefit from the luxury of and the ability to manage other people's finances. We literally manage money for other people. So we're able to sit emotionally away from it. And to watch these other people want to do things with their money, and we repeatedly say, no, don't do that, no, don't do that. And we repeatedly see that that leads to good results. So maybe that's just the benefit that we have. Yeah. And if there are investors out there that get emotional, or their spouse gets emotional, or their partner gets emotional, and the two of them can get through it without doing anything, maybe they have the same kind of... Um, experience that we do but i i mean we know the majority of people out there they 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 don't do that they get emotional they make bad decisions 
Yeah. How much of our experience do you think is because we deal with retirees specifically? Do you think because we're dealing with people who aren't working, maybe have less less things to distract them? I'm, I understand that a lot of this is human behavior and is not specific to any particular demographic, but our experience is, right? Our experience is with people who maybe don't have as much going on. And I mean, we talked to two clients today who admittedly had the news on two separate channels all day, every day. So yeah. I mean, like there's there's a level of um, awareness, and I don't even know if that's the right word, that our retired clients have or think they have about all the goings on because they're not going to work every day or they're not taking their kids to school or like they're just not to say they're not fulfilled or whatever, but they're just not doing as much. They would call it awareness. I would call it brainwashing. Yeah. <laughs> and here, I think part of it has to do with the, the demographic that we work with. Sure. But my experience has been the same across all ages. When the shit hits the fan, I talked to in March, a, 38-year-old neighbor of mine who moved off his money in his 401k to cash. Yeah. I talked to many people that are my age that are saying the same things to me that our clients are saying. I mean, these are young people and they're telling me they should move the cash, trying to time the market because it's, we know it's going to go down. So why wouldn't I do that? So I'm in my life, I experienced, and I don't know if, I mean, Mike, I'm sure you speak to people. People come to you and talk to you about it because they know we are in the business. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, if the, the irony is we just had the best example of probably all time yeah. in March and April and May this year of a market going down like violently by 30%. And then you blink and it's back. And had you reacted and gone to cash and waited and waited and waited for the coast to be clear, you'd have been out permanently with whatever you lost. The thing he says also in this article about, which is kind of an obvious statement we talk about all the time, about taking, if you never take any risk, you'll never have enough safe retirement. Being pessimistic and sitting on the sidelines at all times will guarantee you'll lose money to inflation. And we talk about the price of, of risk is, or the price of getting returns is risk, meaning volatility. It's like, and I just thought of this analogy. Tell me what you think about it. Oh Philly it. sports. <laughs> so if you stand in there trying to hit a baseball, right? And you don't take one like buzzing by your ear now and then because if you bail out, you'll, you're never going to hit the curveball ever because you can't stand in there. And you have to like know that the price of being able to like, get a hit against like a decent pitcher is taking that one, is taking the buzzing the tower for the fastball inside. I can't believe you went baseball. I went baseball. Yeah. Is there any way that you can just edit that out of this? <laughs> Such a dick. I thought you would have like ref like had like a standing in front of the net screening the goalie no, no, no. kind of reference. No. Take a puck to the Think about it for a second, Jeff. That take a high hard <laughs> I fastball. I understand. I understand. In order to actually like Sometimes have you got to hang in there and get You got to hang in there and and take the little, the lump. All right, edit it out. <laughs> no. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> Can we segue this some way? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and that's, I was thinking about that as I read this article. Yeah. When, I, and I think, Mike, you said it earlier yeah. where pessimism it, sells. Pessimism sells, and it leads to people creating products that help deal with pessimism and feed pessimism. And it just, it made me think of 
how many people want to find that product and want to believe that risk is bad, the stock market is bad because it's risky, which doesn't make any sense. And I have something that isn't risky and it's not related to the stock market. It's exactly what I thought of. Because that how easy that is to sell. And we, we, we we're, we're going to talk about someone who created something that did that and it inevitably, inevitably blows up and loses money for people. Like the next article that we dealt with was, or that we addressed was written by this guy, Joseph Stefano in the Inquirer. Yep. And, he's, and he's writing an article every day on the same thing. Right, about this ongoing situation that a local financial salesperson I would say I would just call him a salesman. Okay. Yeah. A local salesman. So Jeff, why don't you give us a summary? So there's his company and they've he's created alternative stock market products. So products that are alternative to the stock market. Have nothing to do with the stock market. And I think he originally started with like real estate funds where he would pool people's money together, right? Uh, somebody wants to build a shopping center and they need a million bucks to build it. He would take 50,000 from you, 20,000 and pull your money together, invest in the shopping center. It sells and then pay everybody back this huge profit. We know that is risky and he, and he positions it as it's not because it's not the stock market and the stock market's risky. Any sector is risky, right? Real estate can go down. Just because real estate went up when the stock market went down in 02 or 08, whenever the, that happened, uh, doesn't mean it ha like that's that's a better investment. So he started that. Then he started life settlements where he would buy a bunch of life insurance policies. So you are 80 years old, Meg, and you have a life insurance policy that pays a million dollars in death benefit. And it has uh, $400,000 in cash value in it. Or I should say, let me say $200,000 in cash value in it. He'll say to you, look, I'll give you $300,000 to buy your policy. And you're like, shit, it's a hundred grand more than what I got in there. I'll take it. He take he gives you your 300 grand and then he pays your premium until you die. And then when you die, he pays out the proceeds or he gets to keep the proceeds. So in, the, in his scenario, instead of him being the only one on the hook, he gets a bunch of people to help buy out policies and help pay premiums. And then when people die... They all benefit from the death of another human being. I have a, obviously a moral issue with life settlements in general, but that's me personally. Um, but again, unregulated business to, for the most part, very, very unregulated. And if you're wrong, people live longer than expected, you're going to lose a lot of money. And what was also happening with life settlements were, were it, it was very fraudulent. The business was very fraudulent. People were selling life insurance policies with the intent to have them sold down the road, which is like, you can't do that. It's all over the applications. Are you going to plan on selling this in the future? In addition to that slimy business he was in, he also did cash advances, what they call them merchant cash advances, to companies that couldn't afford to get money. Like they couldn't get money from anywhere else. So they got it from him at a, you know, a, mere interest rate of 50%. Or triple digits in a lot of cases. I mean, it's just, if you don't think there's risk in those three businesses, then you're- You're an idiot. You're an idiot. 
And 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 just all you need to hear is the the beginning of the sales pitch that the stock market is risky and this is better and we're gonna we're gonna deliver returns equal to the stock market if not better with no risk. That's all you need to hear. He it doesn't exist. He literally has on his web website safe and high yielding, and this is verbatim. Typically, you'll see returns with this investment within three to six years of entry. This investment is a recession-proof alternative investment. You'll see a 10 to 14% annual compound return. That is a literal lie. Yeah. A literal lie. I know. And and so, again, I we all can't stand people like him. That And there's lots of people out there like him that sell this shit. However, I still get back to like, the consumers that fork over money and actually believe that you can get a 10 to 14% return in this environment and that the underlying investment is either recession proof, safe, or anything related to that, then you're an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, and, and if you're a business owner that agrees to pay 150% annual interest rate to get a $10,000 loan from the guy, then you're an idiot. Yeah. And and I mean I know that the 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 um like the typical example is oh it's the pizza shop owner who you know they had an oven fire and they're not going to be able to get the new oven for three weeks and so they need the ten grand to like float the business payroll till then and then and then they're just going to pay it back and they keep going for that's not what's going on these right. businesses are are most likely on the brink of going out anyway and then they take in. Um, a, a ridiculous loan at ridiculous rates, um, they end up defaulting. And in this particular environment, the defaults were huge because of the current, you know, COVID and the economy and everything else. And then the, and it's not a Ponzi scheme technically, but kind of like a Ponzi scheme, it just collapsed. And so people are losing their money. Um, and if in some cases, all of it. Yeah. And the COVID had nothing to do with his life settlement right. fund going belly up. That's because people lived longer yeah, than they, you projected. They, they, right. they the miscalculated the actuarial tables on it. You yeah. Know? But I mean, and what's worse is that there's a lot, like there was there was violations of, of you know, selling unregistered securities. And there's, I read the one article about how he had like some mob guys threatening people in a Wawa parking lot to try to shake them down for money. Par, I mean, par, unbelievably dirtbaggy. Par funding is a company that he would send money to his investors would invest in investments made by par funding. It's run by a two-time convicted felon. Right. Who was operating under an alias. So even if anyone was trying to, <laughs> I don't know how good the alias was, but right. I, I didn't mean, obviously like we know that they're preying on people. That is like, they are predators in like no uncertain terms. They tout like what you read from the website it's absolutely the cons part like the blame goes falls to the consumer as well. But the fact that there's no regulatory body that regulates, I mean, who is looking out for consumers? He's not right. He wasn't registered. So the SEC wasn't looking at him. Right. The Pennsylvania Insurance Department would be the one on the life settlement side. And they're like, they don't even exist. Yeah. They don't do anything. No, you're right. I mean, you th and you think about all of the bullshit regulations that normal vanilla businesses we. have to deal with. And then this stuff is going on, like in the backyard, and they're just running amok and doing whatever they want, saying whatever they want, 
taken advantage of people that can't afford to be taken advantage of. Um, that's you're right. That's that's the crime of it. It's it's worse on, in a way than these individuals that are doing right. This. We know there are shitty people in yeah. the world, but like you expect there to be protection, somebody looking out for you or us or whatever. And it the fact that it doesn't exist, and then to your point, Mike, the fact that you know the time, resources, money, energy that we have to spend right to make sure that our compliance is in order. I wouldn't ever in a million years, even if it was allowed, consider putting like an annual return projection on our oh website God. of what our clients could expect. Never. And yet you just can, you know, you could just pull up it. any one of these yeah. websites and they got it all over the place. Um, he was touting in one of his videos that this is so good because all these financial planners work with broker dealers and their broker dealers won't let them do anything because they're scared and they don't want to get in trouble. So there's all these alternative investments out there that you can't get your hands on because your, your, your advisor, your Merrill Lynch broker isn't, isn't allowed to sell. Well, I am like, that's such a horrible. So who the hell is like, you know what? I want that. I think you guys are, are, are coming down on the consumers and it goes back to the previous article. It's just, they're normal humans and it's human behavior. I've come. All right, so I'm, me, I was harsh on the. Sorry, I, I was harsh on the consumers. I think maybe it's more of a shame that there are still so many people that just don't understand that you can't get something for no risk. And by something, I mean like a really good return. That's because, like, there's like we talked about in the last article. There's so much information that speaks to the opposite of what we speak. It's and 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 that's what they're exposed to all the time. They're just. Yeah, okay, the, a recession's coming. I need to protect my assets. This guy sounds legitimate. I'm going to do it. And I can't tell you how many calls I've personally received over the last five years asking me about this guy from our clients mm-hmm. saying, hey, why aren't we doing this? And, I f- and so when you guys are talking, I'm sitting there going, wow, we were the gatekeepers, right? Like pe- We're the protection. Yeah, people that yeah. didn't have us just did it because they got convinced Whereas people that were smart that work with us went to us and said, hey, what do I do? And we go, absolutely no, stay away. And they were better off for it. Sure. So everybody everybody gets emotional, whether it be financial or health or whatever, or I want to buy that house or I want to date that girl. And like your buddies are like, dude, don't go near her <laughs> or don't buy that house. It's in a real shitty area just because it looks really nice. We all get emotional and make bad decisions sometimes unless we have help. So it's hard, as as obvious as it is to us, to look at the consumer and go, "Man, they're they're idiots." I think it's I think it's a little harder for them to see it that way. And it's also hard, sorry, Megan, no. but it's also hard when it actually works for a period of time. Right? Oh you yeah, right. yeah. And because some of these do, and in this case, they did for a period of time until they didn't. <laughs> yeah. And um, that's and, a really good point. And the other thing is, like, we we crap on annuities a lot because they're sold a lot of times improperly and in, in every case and for every dollar the client has a lot of these people just want to jam everything into annuities and that's really really um uh, against the client's best interest in a lot of cases there's better alternatives um in in most if not all of some of those cases that yeah. doesn't make sense but <laughs> um but as bad as some annuity products can be these are like 10 times worse 
Oh, yeah. You know, no because doubt. at least an annuity ha- does actually have a guarantee on floor. <laughs> They're regulated you know? at yeah. some level. You need regulation, man. You need yeah. somebody helping. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy. I couldn't be happier that yeah, this guy yeah. is exposed. I'm like the happiest person on the planet. <laughs> I do think, and I agree with you, we were probably too hard on the consent, blah, 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 blah. There's got to be like, if it's too good to be true, it's too good. To, mm-hmm. There's got to be a level of common sense. And there should be a course in like, say, senior year of high school called if it's too good to be true, it is. And then you just spend the entire are, time talking about the examples. You can't take a pill and lose <laughs> right. 15 pounds in a week. You can't invest and get 14% returns guaranteed. Like, if you're I could at probably a bar come by with... yourself and a gorgeous girl walks up to you and starts talking to you, <laughs> Something's she, up. she's trying to rob you. On the flip side of that, don't ever let the guy hold your drink. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to just be a gentleman. Like, I, th- There's like probably 10 things yeah. you could come up with for that course and people would be way better off. I think we're on to something. <laughs> Untucked. The college course. <laughs> That doesn't uh, sound right, actually. <laughs> God. All right. So let's talk about a guy who's probably, who's like way cooler than Dean Magnosi. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, Chuck Feeney, the co-founder of Duty Free Shoppers, has given away more than $8 billion in his lifetime. Charities, universities, and foundations worldwide have benefited tremendously from Chuck's and his wife, Helga's, immense generosity. Warren Buffett credit credits Chuck as being a cornerstone in terms of the inspiration for the Giving Pledge, which was launched by Buffett and Bill Gates in 2010 to convince the world's wealthiest to give away at least half of their fortunes before their deaths. Chuck's the bomb. Chuck's the smartest guy on the planet. I think Chuck's the smartest guy on the planet. All right, so he's amassed a shitload of money Eight he, billion he gave eight away. Eight billion plus. So eight billion he gave away, and basically at some point set aside. I think the article said two million dollars for he and his wife to retire, and otherwise has just donated upwards of three hundred and seventy-five thousand percent. A little misleading that stat. I mean, if he was worth a dollar, it would be even a bigger percentage. Can we not the hyperbole on the. <laughs> on that i thought that bothered me of course it did. just just tell me can the, we not make this a nitpicky article tell me the dollar amount the dude gave away and then he we'll, did we'll eight billion right. it's three hundred seventy-five thousand percent more than his net worth wow uh, i'm a firm believer in or at least in my world spending money on other people makes me happy so this guy obviously feels the same way um and i read the article and i'm like i gotta like give more and then I started looking at my budget. And I'm like, there's yeah. no way I can give more, <laughs> which I'm sure there is. I'm just too selfish to give more. So I'm probably the only one of the three of us that thought about this. You know, there's obviously it's well known that there's a ton of like fraud and waste in the whole charitable organization like ecosystem. Yeah. And I was wondering, I wonder if this guy was careful about like avoiding some of that or if so, or if a lot of that eight billion dollars went to people that shouldn't have gotten their hands on it it sounded like if you got through the article and they listed where it all went yeah like cornell he he gave millions hundreds of millions to cornell to to bring technology or uh, put in a technology center 
at Cornell. Do you think Cornell lowered their tuition as a result? No, of course not. Right. Actually, probably increased it because <laughs> yeah. they now have this new building. There you go. I think it is the responsibility of the ultra wealthy to do what this guy did at some level. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope they all do. Like, you know, Bill Gates does it. Yeah. You yeah. know, Warren Buffett does it. I think, and, and how can you not? It's hard to imagine not at that level of wealth. wealth. Yeah. Or How even, could you or not? even something way less than that, but still way more than you or your children, grandchildren, and their children are ever going to need? It, it it always it brings me back to the issue of like tithing, right? And and we've met a few couples that do it, and I'm bl- I'm blown away by it because I have never I didn't start my lifestyle with it, and I think it's probably easier. If you do, if you start your lifestyle giving away 10 or 20% of your wealth and your income, as your income grows, it's just, it's just natural, right? You're, you're just going to continue to tithe with that amount or give away that amount. And wanting to do it now in my life, it just seems way harder. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's just a matter of building that into the budget. Like start with 1% or 2%. And then if wealth continues to increase just start to increase that um and if i can't do it that way then i think the way of just you get 10 grand that you could save it or you can say you know what i'm going to give this to um a life settlement fund a life settlement fund or (laughs) uh you're going to give it to big brothers big sisters of southeastern pennsylvania and like literally hand them a check and i was talking to somebody else about this earlier today um, about charity, charitable intent and charity and giving while you're alive. And, you know, I kind of reading the article made me feel kind of bad. Like, how can this guy give away so much? And I just don't do what he does. And then it's like, you know what? Life really isn't about that. It's about like, you, you can do something for someone else at a much smaller financial level sure. and make a, make an impact like this. Do you know what I mean? I think that the things that matter to you are where it starts. I don't know how much it is about the time in your life or finding um, organizations or causes that really matter. I think that's more likely to get people to donate when there's something that they see that either impacts them or people that they know or, um, you know, in, in the case of like the unrest that exists now, like when there's something that is a passion of yours for better or for worse. I think that's like the trigger. I mean, I know like I started my charitable donations with my college because I went there, loved it. And it was like, this makes sense. I can afford to give even on a super small scale. That's probably not helping anybody do anything, but it was at least a way to get started. And then you realize like, oh shit, like I, I like being able to do that. I like being able to control how my money can help impact something I'm passionate about or something that I care about. And then obviously the more money you have, the bigger the impact. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes there's so many things you can give money to and so many things and causes and people that need money that it gets overwhelming. And the decision paralysis I think leads to some people being like, I don't know, or I'm skeptical of every organization so it's difficult to do it and i think finding things that you trust obviously but also that matter to you is like step one i like 
that and and I should probably prioritize in my life a little bit better you know what are the what are the places that I really care about and and start giving money to them it's not my college it's probably not my high school either although I like them both I just don't yeah. think I like them enough to give money to them do you know Dino's a uh... yeah I know okay I know. Is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a Malvern yeah. grad. Wow. No, no, Albright. Oh, he's an Albright grad? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Even worse. <laughs> Did he go to Malvern? I don't know. Oh. I don't know either. I know. I he went to Albright. That makes all I the sense in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I enjoy more, like, when you pick up a tab for a random person out to dinner. Like, that That kind of giving of wealth, wealth, giving of money, Yeah. like, that just makes me feel uh, or like picking up a tab for like, I mean, I remember I, I went out to dinner with a client and like had to sneakily split the tab because I knew he wanted to pick it up. And it's not like I wanted to pick it up because he's a client. I just want, I, I wanted to treat him as a friend. And I know he wouldn't let me do that. So I at least did half. But that kind of disbursement of my income, I, I find way more rewarding. I also think that at the super wealthy level, philanthropy is a lot of it is bullshit because sure. it's like you're supposed to be a philanthropist because that's what all your other wealthy peers are doing. And then, oh, you want a name on this building and you want to um, I love the the large yeah. anonymous donations yeah. to, to places. Those are the best. And yeah. they talked about Chuck. It, it's and he gave it away anonymously. Yeah, like, anonymously, I think that's like dope. That's unreal. I don't yeah. know if I'd have the ability to be like, like keep my mouth shut. And be like, no, that was me. Like, I, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. I mean, anytime I give to a GoFundMe, I do it anonymously. Yeah. I don't even know if I give to GoFundMe's. Oh, I'm such a sucker. Yeah, I, I give to random things on Twitter that I don't know anything about. I know. That's I, crazy. I know. It is. It is. <laughs> it's super crazy. That's crazy. And I like look at my emails and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, because you get the receipt or you get like an update and you're like, I did donate to that person who I don't know. I'm sure it's, I'm, I hope it's real. Right. I Definitely think, not real. But see, I, I, I think I, ch- I just choose to believe that everyone's trying to do their best and they genuinely need the help. And I know that's not They're the not. case. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, if I go the other way, I'm never going to give a dollar to anyone ever again. Right. <laughs> so if I get, you know taken for 50 bucks a couple times it's probably more than a couple times a year (laughs) (laughs) kudos to chuck man yeah yeah big fans top five Mm. i feel really good about my top five Uh, so go ahead you you want to start or you want to like bat clean up it doesn't matter whatever i feel like i should start because i think mine's probably the worst okay okay go ahead because i've been told by one person that (laughs) it does in fact suck so just question did you guys do this objectively like what most people no. think are or the ones no. you like the best me or a it's all about me yeah probably me okay even though i did have to use the uh, internet for some help you want to share what the top five is oh top five tv show theme songs yep yeah I, I approached it as my favorite top five tv show theme songs of all time okay so i approached it that way too i think but i also more so thought about it like the like what came to mind immediately? What was like very memorable for me? <laughs> it's the first one. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the Hills. The not, Hills. Yeah, that, I'm not. That's I'm like not a aware. Beverly Hills 90210 type no, spinoff. It's a Laguna Beach spinoff. 
Okay. So it's a reality show, okay. and it's the Natasha Benningfield song "Unwritten," which I hate. <laughs> oh my god! The song, I know, I know, but like, uh, she like, I, I know, I know, I know. It's right. bad. Uh, okay. Oh for one. Full house. <laughs> How's it go? I'm, I'm wow. singing on the podcast. Whatever wow. happened to me? <laughs> predictability oh yeah yeah. Mil- yeah yeah okay hate that song okay um <laughs> the office i wouldn't even know it i um oh my god so that, that occurred to me and it also occurred to me i really just don't like that theme song so i did in college i took a computer science course and i had to build a website about something i liked <laughs> I guess at the time I was binging The Office. So I decided to build my website about The Office. And every time you loaded the web page, The Office theme song played. But like I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. Like it wasn't. So every time I'm sitting there in our common room and my roommates wanted to murder me because they heard The Office theme song 150,000 times in like a two-week span. Um, Fresh Prince. Okay. And then Law and Order SVU. Oh my god! Dun dun. Is that five? Yeah. Ah, that's pretty good. I like the dun dun. Yeah. It wasn't really a theme song though. It a thousand percent. I just like the dun dun part. I mean, oh. after that, I can really care less. Okay. All right. I guess I'll, I'll go because um, I also had Fresh Prince. So I'm gonna three I'm gonna for find three. A, find a substitute. You had it too. Yeah. Yeah. I've got on here, and I don't really know the order, but. I'm going to go um, the Jeffersons moving on up. It's a good one. I thought I considered it. I realized that like a lot of the classics from the, the, that era where there was like a million theme songs that everybody knows are really bad. Like anyway, I'll, I'll move on. Okay. I got cheers on there. I thought about it. It's, you know, it's kind of iconic. It's catchy. It's iconic. It's iconic. Yeah. That is the same as full house. Me doing Full House is the same as you guys doing Cheers. No, I don't think so. It is. Okay. I got Curb Your Enthusiasm. Thought about it. And the reason is, is because they do it. It it probably lasts eight seconds, and then they're right into the episode. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, you're not sitting there waiting for two and a half minutes. I've got Married with Children. Oh, I forgot about that Because the irony is awesome, right? The show is just about, like, dysfunctional, you know. I don't know if I know the it's uh, It's, um... Ed. Oh, I know Bundy's. Okay. I, I just don't so know if I can. Song. This song is coming it's to the mind. Frank Sinatra, uh, Love and Marriage, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Uh, and then lastly, I've got um, Sopranos. Ooh, that's just a good one. That's one of my uh, uh, honorable mentions. All right. So, can I just interject here sure. real quick? My beef with a lot of the old stuff is now with binging and skip intro. Like, you I'm not fully uh, yeah. absorbing or appreciating theme songs. And to be candid, I can do without all of them, ever. I'll tell you the worst one of, of all time, which lands on some best of lists, is Friends. Oh, it's the worst agreed. of all time. Agreed 100%. The okay. worst. Yeah. Friends also is kind of just the yes. worst. So I kind of like looked at this by ones I like still sing today. So <laughs> why are you singing theme songs? I don't know. Like I'll walk around my house. It's like, um, oh like Golden Girls, the Golden Girls theme song. Sing it, please. 
And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Don't you know that one? No. Never watched. <laughs> no never watched no of Girls? it. I just never watched an episode. Right, that was a good one. Is that on your list? Yeah, Golden oh. Girls. Yeah. Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, I thought about that one. Shamil, Shamal, Hassan, Fassam, Fassam, Faded. I mean, it's a classic. Yeah, it, it's a yeah. classic. Sanford and Son. Ooh, good one. I mean, it was, was that the, like, burn, 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 that yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a classic. Um, should, should I throw something from like the last twenty years? <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. I'll remove Fresh Prince and I'll add Game of Thrones. Because, like you, I could have skipped it. Actually, I couldn't have. But you, like, you could fast forward with HBO. But I never did because I liked the song. And then number one, I think hands down is the eighteen. <laughs> dun 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 dun. dun. Yours are worse than mine. What? <laughs> and mine were bad. No, the mine A-team. are good. The Mike A-team? wins this one. Mike wins this the one. The A team. I also had Big Little Eyes as a possibility. Ooh. Yeah, he had song. a good list. I love that song. Yeah, Mike wins. For yeah, sure. that is a good list. Yeah, yeah. you win. <laughs> do we want to end with a song? Do we want to go out with a song? You got one? What? What's? Do we do Fresh Prince? Since that's yeah, because that was, that was yeah. a consensus. Top five. I can't do that. Look at you too. I mean, again, that's why it made my list because, like, I'll still sing that. I'll still sing Golden Everybody Girls. Everybody still sings yeah. that. that. Yeah, yeah. Played at bars. Yeah, like it's that. a great one. Yeah. All right. Okay. Till next time. See you later. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>